Hello and welcome to Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your host? I'm Marianne. And I would like to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, today, whatever time it is, wherever you are living in this beautiful world of ours. So sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and discover what awaits us there. Welcome back to our second instalment of our special Halloween episodes. Tonight we'll hear more stories from people's experiences with the unknown, the unexplained, with things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. These experiences are read out by me because, well, for some reason people are shy. But it doesn't take away from the chill factor of the experiences. So, get yourself comfortable. Turn down the lights but not too low. You want to be able to see what's lurking in the corners of your room or out in your corridor or on your stairs. Are you ready to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands and see what awaits us there? Then, let's begin. This is Dar 77's experience. This happened in 2014. I had finally decided to try out a DVR since it was included with the satellite dish package I had purchased. Mind you, I had never really learned how the thing worked so I never got much use out of it. However, one day I noticed that it had recorded something on its own. I found it strange because I'd never really sat down and figured out how to operate it. Naturally, I was curious as to what it had recorded, so I pushed play and to my surprise it was the recording of an old show called Bonanza. The only time I'd ever heard of this show was from my dad when I was a kid, but here it was. Even more peculiar was that it only recorded part of an episode. I was taken back by the whole thing and decided just to leave it for a few days. During those few days, I kept thinking about it and wondering, how could this even be? What it was all about? 
My dad had passed away about a year prior to this and I began thinking that maybe he was trying to tell me something. So I finally sat down to watch the recording. In this partial episode, it involved a dad and his sick daughter. She was bedridden and the father was grieving at her bedside. The father seemed so concerned for his daughter and wanted to help her but could not. He sat there and tried comforting her with his words as she lay dying. Then the recording ended. I knew that up to this point I'd already dealt with several health issues and surgeries while he was alive and he had been there for me. So I couldn't help but wonder if my dad could now foresee some new health concerns since he was no longer living. Was he trying to warn me? Not too long after this I began to have new health problems and I'm still having issues that I'm currently seeking help for and I've had to have more surgeries too. I honestly feel like my dad was trying to tell me of these health issues and that perhaps he wanted to be here for me but could not. from Louisiana. We lived in Louisiana because my husband was military. We'd lived on the base for 18 months. It was not a happy place to live and when I finally learned that we were going to be stuck there for a while I decided I wanted a house. We looked at three houses that were for sale and settled on one. It was a little fixer-upper but I loved that little house. Now for a fixer-upper it didn't need a lot of work. It needed paint, some new flooring and a few new appliances, mostly cosmetic. It was all of 1200 square feet. It had three bedrooms and two bathrooms. Coming from base housing, it was a huge upgrade as we only had 900 square feet and two bedrooms and one bathroom for our small family. We had two small girls at the time, both are grown in teens now. This happened at night. My husband had always been very big about not having the kids sleep with us. He's kind of a big guy. He worried that if a kid was in the bed, he might squish them. I was always the one that if a kid woke up, they would wake me up and I'd usher them back to bed. I've always thought of myself as a heavy sleeper, but I always woke when the kids came in the room. Nothing bothers my hubby when he sleeps. I remember it was 3 or 3.30 in the morning. I was woken by a kid standing by the bed. I thought it was my daughter called Jacey. There was a window next to my side of the bed, but she was standing just outside the light of the window in the shadows. She was holding her blanket. Both of the kids had blankets they were very attached to. I remember sitting up standing and saying, JC, let's go back to bed. Come on. Now, I was not asleep and this was not a dream. I am one of those people when I'm woken at night, I'm very awake and can struggle to go back to sleep. I got out of bed and walked the three, maybe four steps toward JC, thinking that she was very black and was surprised not more light was coming in the window as there was quite a bit of light that came in that window, one of the reasons I liked my spot in the bedroom. As soon as I was maybe a step from her, I realised this was not JC. It didn't feel like JC, feel as in feeling a person's presence. It is too small to be JC. It looks wrong and is not responding to me. JC, 
suddenly blew apart. The blackness exploded and it reminded me of black glitter as she rained down and the black glitter just disappeared to nothing. I remember I ran out of my bedroom across the hall to JC's room. JC was in bed sleeping. I went back to my bedroom and stood there. I went back to JC's room and got very close to her. I thought maybe she was pretending to sleep. How did she make it back to her room and get to sleep so fast? Was she playing with me? I realised she was sleeping, and the emotions, feelings I had knowing what I saw was not Jacey came flooding back to me. I left Jacey's room, checked on our other daughter who was also sleeping soundly, and I went back to bed. I considered waking my husband but didn't know what I'd tell him. It took me a long time to go to sleep after that. I was up for close to an hour and did one of my tours of the house where I'd walk all through the house a few times over. I didn't feel any malice or threat coming from whatever it was. For all I know, it could have been a child looking for a mum. Faith from Wales. I'm not much of a storyteller. However, I felt this was an experience that I needed to share. I'm Faith. I'm 19 and from a country called Wales in the United Kingdom. I've had a couple of ghostly experiences and I'm quite a believer of the supernatural. However, this experience shook even me. Me and my boyfriend Kieran had been together for four years and decided to stay at a hotel for our anniversary on the 16th of April 2019, since we never get time alone. We stayed at a place in Swansea called the Grand Hotel. When we got there, everything seemed fine and we were allocated room 212. The first night was fine and nothing seemed out of place. We were having a great time and everything was happy. That was until things started to get weird. Things in the bathroom seemed to be moving places. At first I assumed it was the maids who had moved things while attending the room. Things kept moving and I started to realise they were even moving after the maids had been. Already a bit creeped out by the whole thing, I decided to tell my non-believer boyfriend Kieran all about it. He insisted that he hadn't moved anything. When he asked me what had moved, I explained how the glasses had turned the other way around and how both of our toothbrushes had been moved multiple times after me putting them back. Along with this, my bag with all my toiletries in had moved. My boyfriend thought that maybe I just hadn't remembered where I had put stuff I knew this wasn't the case as I can be OCD over my things and the exact place they must go. Things continued to move until one night while my boyfriend was asleep I saw a face. It was near the door of the bathroom. I thought it was the face of a woman watching me. I was petrified and woke my boyfriend who just hugged me and told me to go to sleep without opening his eyes. When I looked back, the face was gone and I eventually went to sleep. On about the fifth night, me and my boyfriend had an argument before bed and I was ignoring him when he fell asleep. I was so mad, furious even. The argument wasn't even serious, but I was so mad I went to the bathroom because I couldn't stand being in the bed with him. I looked in the mirror and I was suddenly filled with thoughts I had never had before. I thought... Imagine how bad he would feel if I hung myself right here. 
After a couple of hours sitting in the bath looking at my reflection, I finally convinced myself to go back to bed. When I returned, my boyfriend apologised in his sleep, I might add, and all of my angry thoughts dispersed. The next morning, the key card for our door stopped working. We had to go to the hotel reception to fix the card. However, it turned out that it was the electronic lock that was broken, so we had to move to a different room. The room we moved to was only a couple of rooms down, but nothing happened in that room. It was completely normal. When I got home, I researched the hotel to see if anyone had died. The only death I found was a woman called Rachel Phillips in 2016 who'd gone to the hotel with her girlfriend. She and her girlfriend had argued and she was found to have hung herself in the bathroom in her room. I had never heard of the incident before and was shocked to actually find something. The room number wasn't stated and there was no information on anyone saying about the hotel being haunted. However, when I saw the picture of the woman, I swear that it was the face I had seen by the bathroom door. I like to believe that she wanted to share with me how she felt, how angry, how upset and how determined she felt. I sympathise with this young woman and hope she may rest in peace someday. Once a year, on a dark night, we return. We will not sleep. We will not die. This is Halloween. This is from Kill Hill Queen 90 in the United States. I was in beauty school, spring of 2015. It was a normal day when a client walks in the door. They sign in and the receptionist brings a slip back with the client's name on it and what service was needed. I get my slip, I walk to the seating area and I holler out, Larry. A little old man gets up and walks to my station, basic haircut. He never said one word to me. I finished his haircut, he got up, laid my tip on the counter and left. Next day, I was off of school. I'm sitting at home reading the newspaper. I turned the page and there is Larry. It broke my heart. I yelled at my boyfriend, Oh, babe, I cut this guy's hair yesterday and he died. My boyfriend just brushes it off like, Oh, well. I started reading the obituary and it said, He died two days before I cut his hair. I was in tears like with what just happened moment. Then I started thinking, maybe they got the days mixed up, which doesn't happen a lot, but maybe it did this time. I was so confused, I couldn't explain it. I literally was at a loss for words. I cut it out of the paper and took it to school the next day, asking everybody if they remembered him. No one paid enough attention, so I go to my school owner and have her pull up the school sign-in sheet and what you know. There it is. The name Larry. No last name, just Larry. I was so shook, I even made my teacher cry when I told her what was going on. I physically touched this man, not to mention at the time I lived in a town 15 miles north of Larry's hometown and had to drive through his town to get to school. I'm going to assume he just needed one last cut before his holiday in the sky. 
What do you all think? Muriel's Daffodils from GSD Lady in Canada. This event occurred while driving down a road in a rural area of Lange Gardien in the Wheatway region of Quebec, Canada. Please excuse my pronunciation, I know I've butchered it. I apologise for that. My cousins Paul and Charlie had lost their friend Muriel, who was only 30 years old and the single mother of a young child. Muriel's husband had drowned in a boating accident the previous spring and she had inherited her husband's Harley-Davidson motorcycle when he passed away. Sadly, on the evening of June the 1st, 2000, Muriel died in a very violent collision while driving home with two female friends. As she rode her motorcycle down a dip in the road with her two friends following behind her, a farmer who was driving his tractor and pulling a hail wagon had pulled out onto the road in front of her at the last second. According to her two friends, it happened so quickly, Muriel didn't have time to react and she couldn't avoid the fatal collision. I'll skip the details regarding her injuries because they're just too horrifying to recount. Marielle was rushed to the nearest hospital by ambulance where she passed away about an hour after the accident occurred. Her orphan child went to live with her aunt Sylvie. About a week later I was in Lange Gardienne when Paul and I decided to go for a drive. As we passed the cemetery where Marielle's remains were finally laid to rest we noticed her grave was covered with dozens of bright yellow daffodils. I commented on how beautiful her flowers were and Paul replied that daffodils were her favourite. I loved daffodils too, but not so much anymore. We drove around for a little while and at one point I reached a dip in the road and Paul said, this is where Muriel's accident happened. The scent of daffodils permeated the air and right on cue we both said, can you smell that? And we replied in unison, yes. But then the sweet and pungent aroma of the daffodils became so overpowering and nauseating that I gagged as I struggled to catch my breath. The temperature dropped very quickly and we could almost see our breath as the icy cold air came creeping into the car. Paul looked at me with the most horrified look on his face and said, Sue, it feels like somebody's hand is on the back of my neck. A few seconds later he added, Do you think it's her? I had goosebumps all over my body and I could feel her energy getting stronger and stronger. I knew that we were in for one hell of a ride and there was nothing I could do to stop it from happening. So I looked at Paul and replied, it's not polite to talk about someone in the third person when they are present. Paul turned as pale as a ghost and kept driving. I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand straight up. Then from the back seat of the car, I heard her. She was inhaling deeply between each heart-wrenching sob and she cried out and repeated over and over again in Quebecois French, which I have conveniently translated for you. No, it can't be. This isn't possible. What about my child? Paul couldn't hear Muriel, but he could still feel her icy cold hand on the back of his neck and he started to panic. Why is she here? Is she trying to tell us we're going to die in an accident too? 
Suddenly Muriel stopped crying and she answered Paul's question, No, no, but Paul couldn't hear her reply. I looked at Paul and repeated exactly what she said. Muriel said, No, no. Then Muriel added, I just wanted to say thank you. I didn't get the chance to say goodbye to you last time I saw you at so-and-so's restaurant. Once again I repeated everything she said to my cousin. I had never met Muriel before she passed away. I had no idea that Paul had seen her at that restaurant a few weeks earlier until I heard it from Muriel as she rode along with us in the car that day. Paul had been riding and racing motorcycles for years, so he had given her some tips about riding her Harley safely, and he had also shared some defensive driving techniques with her. Such a cruel twist of fate. I told Muriel that her child was safe and was going to live with her sister Sylvie. I tried my best to reassure her that everything was going to be okay. Finally, the overwhelming odour of daffodils started to dissipate and the temperature in the car returned to normal. Paul looked at me and said, I think she's gone now. I nodded silently while choking back tears of my own. Paul parked the car on the shoulder of the road before he frantically searched everywhere inside the vehicle for a perfume bottle, flowers or any other evidence of what we had just experienced. There was nothing left but the lingering scent of daffodils and the haunting memory of an anguished mother's cries for her young orphaned child.
This is Bettina Marie from Utah. My mum was the school librarian for 23 years at the little public school built in the 50s or 60s. The main building was kind of an H layout with some outside modular classrooms. The admin office, staff, WC, lounge, gym and cafeteria were all by the front, south entrance hall on the centre bar of the H. My mum's library was a couple of doors down on the outer side of the lower league or southeast wing of the H. There were south lock and exit only fire doors at each end of the hall, which can be used but not held open without setting off the alarms. The entire campus was demolished the year after my mum retired. I do not know if the new school got built there. As a visitor, I always went in through the front doors to the office. I may have been in the cafeteria once, but I never really went past the hall where you go from the office round the corner to my mum's library. I had entered a few of the classrooms on that wing and the teacher's lounge during daylight hours. I had only visited my mum a few times during school in her little library. It had a reading dragon and a life-size statue of a beloved fictional character. I was not personally fond of this odd, adorable statue, but my mum talked to it and dressed it for the holidays. The little kids loved it too, of course. I always felt overgrown and out of place even in her library. One time I was there to see my sister-in-law dressed up as Clifford the Big Red Dog for the book fair. Happy thoughts, happy thoughts. I chalked up my general dislike for the building to the fact that it always stunk like grubby little children in rotted wood. Sorry to those who love kids, they do leave a stink. I disliked how the school felt, but shrugged it away. Many public schools out west are flat, plain, painted cinder block buildings with the upper inside windows along the halls. The open layout makes it so you can see into most hallways and classrooms from the outside or the opposite wings. All my elementary schools had looked dismally more or less the same. Many of them also had given me the same used, unpleasantly familiar, crowded but empty old feeling when I was young. So no biggie. Some schools I'd visited were much larger, older and creepier in the poor rural regions of my childhood. I'm looking at you, Middleton Junior High School. However, I had never been to any of them alone after dark. When my mum retired, I came from the West Coast to help her clean her library and trim the collection. She struggled with tossing anything. I flew to help close her deadline to clear out. I love my mum, and I also hoard books. But I pushed her pretty hard to save what she could and damn the rest. I've worked and used books, so I'm accustomed to the heartache of discards. We filled many boxes of donations. Piles of books lined the halls outside. We also had to pile up the trash there as we'd be locked out trying to get to the dumpsters. The custodian was on vacation. My mum was worried about how he would react to all the piles of trash bags and recycling in the hall when he got back. Anyway, on previous visits I'd found the teeny tiny stalls and the tinier toilets in the student bathroom were way too little for my large person to use. So I had avoided going in there since and I had never been on the boys' side until I needed garbage bags to help my mum clean that summer day. The custodian supply room was just inside past the doorway to the boys' side bathroom. Because I've worked as a janitor, I've a habit of announcing my femme self when entering a men's room. These restrooms had no doors and were side by side, where the entrance hall met my mum's wing opposite the staff lounge. 
When I first went in on the boys' side, I felt what could be the normal elementary school transgressiveness of being in the (gasps) wrong bathroom, even though we were, for sure, the only ones there. Alas, I spent way too much time cleaning bathrooms for there to be much novelty in that. With each trip into the closet for supplies, my feelings grew to a more specific and very, very unwelcome menacing absolute of something bad watching me and lurking close by. Eventually, I just grabbed up a bunch of stuff and decided not to be in there again. This was on my first day of the trip. I felt like a ninny for being scared, even though it was a strong, involuntary physical response. That first night, we stayed until seven or so before it was dark. Mum said she wanted to be up by nine, and I assumed it was a district policy. The next day was Friday. We barely had time to meet the deadline. Once again, after 3 or 4 p.m., we were the only people in the whole school. I was a little out of patience with my loving mother when I discovered that, in addition to the treasures of her library, we also needed to clear out two large storage spaces. These unused areas were located across the hall from the bathrooms, between the teacher's lounge and the office area. Leaving my mum to tearfully catalogue a stack of stragglers, I set out to basically toss or recycle 20 years' worth of holiday and book fair decorations. That whole time, I was very much aware that I was not alone, and I worked as fast and quietly as possible. I did not want to be there in the hall or those storage cubbies after dark, no sir. The lurking feeling got stronger and more ominous. It seemed to seethe down the hall, up to the doorway of the library coming in from the bathrooms. I felt cornered in, followed and watched in the small storage areas. It was all I could do not to run away back to my mum. After a stern lecture to my coward heart, I gave up on sorting the mess and just shoveled it all into trash bags. Thus, I quickly finished the storage areas. Mum was tired and sad to leave her school. We still had a very steep amount of cleaning and at least three sections of the shelves to trim. We were up to our eyeballs in dust and books, working until it was dark and only the emergency lights lit the halls. She'd turned on the real lights right in our part of the hall though. The evil feeling was still there but worse. My mum also locked us in once it was dark without saying anything. I felt safe enough with her in the library, even though I felt like something was lurking near us in the empty hall. I felt very much like we were cornered by some angry, vengeanceful watcher. Eventually, Mum said she wanted to go home. I looked at my watch. It was only 8pm. We still had an hour. So I said we should grind on. The end of our task was in sight. We powered through and managed to catalogue or trim all the relevant materials. All that was left was to load some personal things and donations to take them away. We decided to do it the next day because the car was full. At least the district's to-do list was complete in time for her to turn in her keys. I do remember forcing myself not to look back as I walked to the end of the hall and the lights of the fire exit. I waited, arms full, while Mum locked her classroom door. Mum went around the corner to drop her keys off to the office, then hit the hall lights off. I have never in my adult life been more afraid of the dark than in those few moments it took for my mum to come down that very short hallway. I have huge goosebumps now trying to write this. The dark shadows from the rest of the school seemed rushing to eat us both alive. I mean to say that I could feel with 
every inch of my being that something or many things was angry and present, like the predator is actually right beside you, about to gobble your ass. Now run! Typical of physical animal certainty. My mum moved slow and tired toward me. I tried to be cool and not scream. There was nothing to be seen or heard. I felt like if I showed an inch of fear or acknowledgement, my mum and I would both be done for. My mum's a tough cookie, but her retirement and gutting her collection had her in an emotional state. I had also further upset her by throwing stuff away, which she had just found around the corner. Note, I'm not much of an actor and a worse liar, so I did not say anything or run screaming outside. We left, checked the door behind us and crammed into the car. Since I was also tired and I watched way too many movies, I just shook off the horror show feeling. Honestly, everywhere I go in Utah has some level of scary, crappy energy. I didn't want to complain or to scare my mother. I was just very glad to be done. Also, I didn't want to admit what a chicken I am. My mum said something about how she hoped any restaurants might still be open and I realised my watch was on Pacific time. So we had left the school around 11.30, not 9.30 like I thought. The next morning we went back to fetch the remaining items. School started that next week. Many of the staff were prepping their classrooms. One of them waved and sent his teenaged kid to open the fire door for us, the one we had exited the night before. Everything was too sunny and loudly fine. My mum went into his classroom and after introductions the kid politely offered to help me carry things to the car. My mum stayed to chat with her colleague. The boy says casually as we walked up the hall, So, you were here late last night. Did you hear ghosts? Trying to be cool, I was all, No, has that happened to you? Then this young kid tells me all nonchalant how he has heard ghostly children's voices. That people had seen ghost figures or heard footsteps across empty halls and the empty roof of that wing for many years. How no one ever stays at the school alone or after dark, even the janitors. I tried not to barf or cry. He sort of smiled kindly at the look on my face and said, It scares my dad too. And that his dad won't be here any more alone or at night, since the one night he and another teacher chased some voices that also slammed doors, but no one was here. I felt like someone was pouring ice into my guts. Even the dusty sunlight seemed scary. I could tell he was trying to be nice by changing the subject to conversation. I didn't tell him what had happened or how scared I was, but he seemed to feel bad for bringing it up. Needless to say, I packed up fast and with his help made just that one last trip. Once we were both safe in the car again, I brought up what the kid had said. I told my mum how scared I was in the bathroom and the night before, and just then in broad daylight with other people. In response, she just casually threw out how the staff had all heard and seen creepy stuff for years, especially in the tunnels. What? which go from that boy's bathroom under the school to the other side of the gym. She calmly said that is why she tries to be up by nine, because she knows she cannot fight whatever it is alone or after dark, since she couldn't let it into her library. At this point, nothing on this earth could have got me back in that school. 
She's very religious, so her matter-of-fact reaction surprised me. Three cheers to my mum, the brave little librarian, who apparently educated several generations of kids while terrible lurking nasties crept around their school. Her beloved fictional character statue got moved to the office for that last year. I like to think he helped guard my mum, and then that very last class of students after she left. I had no idea if mum coped with that same level of hateful, lurking, carnivorous evil energy for 20-something years, day after day. But damn, I didn't know what to say sitting there in the bright summer sun. I just cried. It was a terrible, no good, very bad weekend. I really hate to visit Utah. (laughs) This is Robin15 from Australia. Late November last year, 2018. My family moved into an old convent built in 1914. It's a lovely big house of ten small bedrooms, two bathrooms, a huge laundry with four tubs, a sitting room, library, TV room, two sunrooms, and so much more. Anyway, not long after we settled in, we started to notice some strange things. There's a spare room at the end of the hallways we use as a storage room, and the door regularly opens and closes, as well as the light turning on and off. The guest bedroom is probably the most haunted room of the house. The morning after they'd left, we went in to change the sheets and tidy up, but what we found was definitely rather unexplainable. The painting on the dresser had somehow flung itself off the wall, and the vase that was in front of the painting was still in place, untouched. No windows or door were open in that room for the painting to blow itself off, so yeah, a little weird. Then there have been things disappearing and reappearing in strange places. One time my mum had swapped the candlestick on the table for a vase of flowers and she put the candlestick away in a drawer. And not long after we came back into the dining room, they had swapped over again. My older sister has this ring which always ends up in strange places. We were at a restaurant down the street and she lost her ring and when we came home it was on the TV. The TV. And she swore that she wore it down the street. Also, we have house central heating, and it often turns on itself. We very rarely actually see or hear anything, but my older sister has mentioned several times that she's seen a small white dog walking around the house when we only have three fat cats. Certain rooms also have really strong energies. The library is a room which I myself don't really like going in there, and I can't exactly say why. I simply don't know because it's such a lovely room. Another room is, of course, the guest room in the kitchen, too. We sometimes get the smells of sweets baking like scones and cakes and biscuits. The ghosts in the house tend to be more active after someone other than us is in the house, which we find interesting. We do strongly believe that we live with a bunch of lovely old nuns from a hundred years ago, and we're very fond of them, and we think they're fond of us, too. There have been more strange happenings in this house that are more on the creepy and frightening side, but they have nothing to do with the nuns, so that's another story. We think the nuns protect us, and in return, we try our best to respect and care for the house. (laughs) Katie from Pennsylvania My story starts in the summer of 2005. 
I'd just turned 18 and graduated from high school. At the time, my days consisted of working my job at the pizza place and spending almost all my free time with friends, as kids do at that age. So when my boyfriend at the time, Dave, suggested I moved in with him, I couldn't have been more excited. It would mean independence for me. The apartment was small. One bedroom, a bathroom and a kitchen living area. My boyfriend had gotten a great deal on the place, $300 a month, as our friend's father owned the building and would be living there during construction. I'm not really sure what the history of the building was before, but my friend's father guessed it was somewhere from 80 to 100 years old or so. Ours was only one of a few units in the structure, which was more like a house. Flash forward a few weeks in, and we were having some friends over, having a little bit of booze and enjoying our freedom, but nothing too out of hand. There were four of us, myself, my friend Jackie, Dave, and his friend James. We'd played some cards and walked around showing our friends the unfinished, creepier parts of the building. I can recall the basement feeling odd when we went downstairs and my friend Jackie also commenting something along the lines of feeling watched. We sort of shrugged it off and went upstairs to my apartment and put on a movie in the bedroom. Jackie was laying on a couch I had in my room and James was on the floor on a blow-up mattress with Dave and I on the bed. We were all fairly tired at this point so the room had gone quiet. I was just starting to close my eyes when I noticed a dark shape out of the corner of my eye in the left upper corner of the room. I focused in on it, straining to see what it was in the now dark room. At first, I assumed that it was shadows being thrown from the television, but it still rattled me enough that I reached behind me and flipped on the light switch. When I'd turned on the light, the shape was gone, so I assumed that I had been right. But before shutting the light off, I started to ask aloud, Does anyone else? I couldn't even finish before Jackie blurted out, See that shit on the ceiling? Feeling even more frightened now that someone else in the room acknowledged this. I waited about 15 minutes before shutting the light off. Another 10 minutes or so went by, and just as before, I was beginning to let myself fall asleep, when I felt the overwhelming feeling of being watched. My eyes immediately shot to the corner where I had seen the shape and sure enough, there in the corner was a dark, what now appeared to be moving, black mass. I shot up out of bed and flicked the light on and to my shock and horror, this time the mass stayed. Now, with all the lights on, the shape was clearly visible to me. It was what I can only describe as a black, swirling cloud with small tendrils like smoke coming off all sides of it, roundish, if I could even call it a shape at all. It seemed to move and swell like the way water or smoke moves and almost had a vibration around it. It was a hazy black mist, although its centre appeared solid. At this point, every single one of us was seeing the same thing and exclaiming our fear out loud. It was then that the figure started to slowly move along the top of the wall, picking up speed and going from corner to corner. I've never been so scared in my life. We all ran to the centre of the room and huddled together, petrified by what was happening. 
I began saying a prayer because it was the only thing I could think of the moment. So I said the Lord's Prayer, and, and as I was, it seemed to get faster and faster. It moved so quickly now, you could barely keep up with it. This went on for just about three minutes. Then, just as mysteriously as it appeared, it travelled around the room one last time and sucked up into the crack above the closet door and disappeared. Needless to say, we were all shaken to the core and did not sleep that night or turn off the light. I'm now 32 years old and Jackie and I are still friends and we still talk about this experience every time we see one another. Not one single day goes by that I don't think about this spirit and what happened to me there. It has profoundly affected me. Whatever presented itself to us that night was a bad energy. You could feel it. Later, while fixing the bathroom walls, the wall shed with our bedroom, paper crosses were found stuffed inside the wall. Still, still not sure why, but mostly some kind of protection? Had this happened before? I eventually moved, and me and my boyfriend at the time went our separate ways. I never spent another day in that place by myself ever again. Yellow Hawk from Montana. A little background before I start. I come from a Native American family and this story takes place when I was 13. I used to like riding my dirt bike out in the hills. I'd usually be out for hours, always returning when the sun started going down. On this one particular trip, I was cruising along the top of a flat hill in the summer sun. Ahead of me, about 30 feet or so, I saw something shining. As I got closer, I saw it was a medallion-type necklace. It was beaded with metallic parts along the thread. I thought it looked cool, so I took it home. This turned out to be a big mistake. I had the medallion in my dress and didn't bother telling anyone about it. The night after I found it was when things started to go bad. I was lying in my bed on my side trying to fall asleep. Then I felt as if someone laid down next to me. I felt whatever it was leaning closer and start breathing really hard in my ear. I was paralysed with fear. I didn't want to move nor look at whatever was behind me. So I screamed and within seconds my dad burst into the room. I was crying and he was mad that I woke him up. He asked what the hell I was screaming for and I told him there was someone in my room. He didn't believe me and told me to get back to bed and I didn't sleep at all that night. Over the next few days similar things happened and sometimes I'd catch glimpses of something pacing around outside the windows at night. Then on the last day my grandpa came over to visit while my parents were out. He asked me how things have been and I told him what's been happening. He put his coffee down and looked me dead in the eyes and said, What did you do? Obviously I was surprised he was to speak me. But then I remembered the medallion. I told him about it and he got pissed. He was yelling and cussing at me, telling me I shouldn't take stuff like that because it doesn't belong to me. 
Just then, a pair of heavy antique handcuffs that were on the wall flew across the room and almost hit me. So I grabbed the medallion, got on my dirt bike and went back to where I found it. It was difficult, but I was finally able to locate where I had found it. I laid it down and said a prayer and apologised to whomever owned it, then made my way back home. Things were calmer at the house, so I knew I did something right. My grandpa was still upset with me, but he was glad I put it back. Now I knew better than to take someone else's property, whether they're alive or not. Jersey Girl from New York This story is in two parts. The first part took place in New York City shortly after my boyfriend died. Of course, I was devastated when this happened. He was to be buried in his native Ireland, but on the day of his funeral in Ireland, they had a memorial mass for him at his parish in Queens. My boyfriend always liked to hear me sing for him. I'd done some singing around New York City at the time, so I impulsively volunteered to sing at his memorial mass. The piece that I chose to sing was Pei Jesus from Gabriel Foray's Requiem. The morning of the memorial mass, I tried to warm my voice up in my apartment, but every time I got to the words, Donna is Requiem, I burst into tears. I didn't know how I'd get through singing at the mass. I was scheduled to sing during communion, but it was too late to back out. All the way up to the time I walked up onto the altar to sing my piece, I was praying, please help me get through this, don't let me let Jim down. And then my moment of truth arrived. Standing in the sanctuary next to the organ, I nodded to the organist, and he played the sustained one-chord introduction. I started to sing, and as I did so, I felt a presence with me, urging me on, you can do this for Jim. Whoever this unseen spiritual supporter was, he, she, helped me get through the piece without breaking down in front of the congregation. As I finished the piece, I walked off the altar, collapsed into a convenient pew and gave vent to my pent-up tears. Fast forward to about two weeks ago. I was touring around Ireland with a friend and, seeing as we were our own tour guides, we followed our own itinerary. Needless to say, one of our stops was to visit the graveyard where my boyfriend Jim is buried. We had been there before, so there was not much trouble finding it again. My friend left me alone as I knelt and prayed over Jim's grave. And yes, even all this time later, I shed some tears. We loved each other very much. And then I got back into the car and my friend and I continued on our way. My friend and I discovered a nice classical music station on the car radio, which we played when my friend who did all the driving, bless her, felt she wouldn't be distracted by the music as she was trying to find the right road to get us to our next destination. So we were comfortably on the road again and decided to turn the radio on. About the second or third piece they played after we turned the radio on was Pay Jesus from Faro's Requiem. I gasped when I heard it come on. My friend who attended Jim's memorial mass in Queens took her eyes off the road long enough to meet mine. I don't think there's a coincidence, she said. They don't play pieces like that very often on the radio. I think this is Jim's way of telling you he knows about your visiting his grave earlier today. I shed a few more tears thinking of Jim, but felt comforted that he knew I'd said an RV for him 
and that his grave is warmer and sweeter for it. And there is where we will end our special Halloween episodes. Even though I fooled around with the sound effects and the like, I do take this subject very seriously. Some of these stories will have been pretty scary for some of you. Some have been very tender and bittersweet. I hope you've enjoyed these episodes and have a great Halloween evening. Keep safe out there and enjoy yourself. And as this gentleman says... Happy Halloween. Do try... Not to die. <laughs> Our haunting musical score this episode is called Spirit of the Dead by Akash Gandhi. This is a copyright free piece of music. If you have any suggestions for any topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if any of you have any questions or any comics that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself or with my audience, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating and don't be shy to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts or on your chosen podcasting platform. Who knows? You may hear your review read it at the end of one of these podcasts. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and available from iHeartRadio as well. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name and our Twitter feed at Shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Tonight, today, wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours, we'll see you this time next week. Thanks for listening. 